Hi, good evening. Welcome to the National Academy. Uh, I'm Marshall Price, the curator of modern and contemporary art here. And this evening we're beginning another exciting season of the review panel. So um, before we get started, uh, I would just like to say I hope everybody picks up one of these cards on their way out. It's got um, the entire season listed on it, so uh, uh, please feel free to do that. And I believe you can actually buy um, a season pass to the review panel, which is new this year. <laughs> um, you may have noticed walking in that our galleries are uh, temporarily closed. We're undergoing a fairly major facelift here at the Academy, and um, we will be reopening in the fall of next year with uh, an uh, extremely extensive, uh, large installation from our permanent collection and a Will Barnett retrospective that is curated by our senior curator, Bruce Weber. So um, I hope you will all put that on your calendars. Um, it is my great pleasure to introduce the moderator of the review panel. Uh, but before I do that, I should actually thank our funders, um, NISCA and DCA, um, are uh, funders of the review panel, and without their assistance, we could not do it. And our partners in the review panel are artcritical.com. David Cohen is the moderator for tonight's panel. He is the editor of artcritical.com. Uh, David is an art critic, um, an essayist, um, a poet, if you will, of art criticism. And um, it's wonderful to introduce you to, to David Cohen, who will then introduce the speaker. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our moderator, David Cohen. Thank you very much. At the age of 15, I did have aspirations to being a poet. Um, but as you'll discover this evening, I'm strictly a prose man. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another season. And thank you so much to the National Academy uh, for hosting this event and for to Amy Zoltzman and, and all the staff here who make it all happen so smoothly. Uh, my panel tonight is entirely consists of uh, repeat offenders. I'm <laughs> delighted to kick off the season uh, with uh, three panelists who've each been on the panel at least a couple of times. That once, once in Faye's case, twice for Lance, Maybe three times for Andrea. So, seasoned panel. Mm -hmm. Commencing a season that's actually uh, characterized by a great number of new and first-time uh, review panelists. So, um, a pleasing contradiction there to the season to follow. So, I suspect that with this crowd it may not be necessary, but let me know if this is your first ever review panel. Put your hands up. Wonderful. Fantastic. So, for your sake, and to remind those of us who've uh, had too relaxing a summer, let me remind us all of the format of the panel. We've, all of us, hopefully, certainly those of us on this platform, been able to go and see four exhibitions, uh, Roman Signer, uh, Arlene Sheket, Adam Fuss, and uh, uh, Joan Snyder. We will 
have a little PowerPoint presentation to show some images, some installation shots of the first couple of shows. Uh, then we will um, discuss those among ourselves. We'll take some comments and probing from the audience and then repeat the exercise with the final two. Great, marvellous. Well, so our first two exhibitions then uh, of Roman Signer at the Swiss Institute and Arlene Sheket at Jack Shaman Gallery. It occurs to me, uh, Faye, Faye Hirsch. I'm going to, by the way, announce people's names in full with each discussion because I've had a complaint that when you listen to podcasts, you have no idea who's speaking. So just to warn you of that technical detail, Faye Hirsch. It seems to me that with Signer and Sheket, we get Buddhists of a very different stripe. Buddhists for, for Signer? Yeah, well, um, I'm not, not claiming him doctrinally as a Buddhist, but is there something Zen-like about his antics? Uh, no. Um, it's not, I never would have... I mean, maybe you can explain what you mean. I don't, I don't really see that, but... What I mean is the um, explorations of chance and the absurdity and a certain aloofness from um, the, the, the chaos of life. Well, I certainly see the, the, the accidental quality. And if you, when you're sitting in the exhibition, you couldn't, of course, tell. But there's, there's a sort of an audio component to it, which is the, the piano piece that you saw has ping pong balls on the, um, on the strings of the piano. And there's a fan blowing. So the ping pong ba balls are blown about. And there's a constant sound of kind of a waving sound in the, in the museum. Which is very Cajun, I think, for sure. Um, but I, I think I would just like to say that um, I'm pretty excited about the show. Um, it's, it's not something we get to see very often, a Roman Zigner show. He was very rarely shown in the United States. And the thing that he's best known for are explosives. Um, and there are no explosives in the show, except for the ones that fizzle out in the, in the, um, um, the installation cinema. Um, and, the, and, and in a sense, what we get with the show is a retrospective, which is quite exciting, because in the show, in the film that's shown in cinema, there is uh, something called his Resten, which are his little remainder films, which have been montaged together. And they're basically, he's been threatening to do this for years, put these little films together, um, which are not the films of the events that succeeded, but rather mostly of the ones that failed, and other little bits and pieces that have survived from the oeuvre of his Super 8 films, which he only made between 73 and, I think, 85 or something like that. So um, it's a really very special occasion because you go in, you see the, uh, a kind of an overview of his, of his career making these Super 8s, and you also get these brand new installations from 2010 that involve objects and new films. And so I, I, for one, was very, very taken with the, with the exhibition. And I mean, we can talk about the meaning and what goes on in it, but I just, mm -hmm. just wanted to say that because I, I think it's very exciting. And those of you who haven't gone should definitely go to the Swiss Institute. Right, yes. It's an introduction um, to his work. Well, it's, in a way, it's, in a, it's a way, well, I think because, because Zigner has been known for explosions. And 
this is not, is a seriously not an explosion. It's an apple that's going to rot over the course of the next few weeks. Nature's explosion, yes. But it's framed so, as an explosion waiting to happen. It's kind of like an anti-explosion. Right, so exactly. it's sort of a funny comment on himself it's a as well. frozen explosion. And it has that epigrammatic poetry. Did a chair break? That's what happened. Oh, how appropriate. All this talk of no explosions, a chair broke. No, plus there's a chair right? in the show that goes boom, boom, that boom, is boom, boom, through the whole... That's there's a certain a synchronicity in that an audience member of, of, of considerable heft has gone through one of the ancient chairs of the National Academy, but, uh, uh, and that uh, recalls to us the chair that's on a string being pulled back and forth. Um, um, Lance Esplan, do you find uh, the uh, work in this show explosive or rotten? <laughs> So I have to go to one extreme or the other. Um, I find it a little anticlimactic. Um, I, I was reminded in the show of uh, um, like a magician on a stage and saying, you know, there, there are pieces where he gets inside a glass box that's the size of a human being, and then it fills up with blue smoke. And, and I kept thinking there, there are no voiceovers in the films, um, but there, there are also times where he ties two umbrellas together in a, on a hill in the wind, and, and they take off and roll like wheels, you know, and fly into the air, and then birds go by, and he puts a swivel chair, an office swivel chair, in a, a rushing stream, and the water makes it spin. Um, so there, and then the shirt, which you saw, that is, it hangs from a wire, you know, and then it comes down like this. Um, but I kept thinking things like, you know, Magician's patter. I think about. I was thinking of things like, uh, here I have an ordinary gas chamber, you know, or here I have an ordinary umbrella, or here I have an ordinary office chair, and then he sets this up, and then kind of nothing happens, and so there's this, um, there's the big, the big event with the kind of petering out, and and I think he's poetic in the way that he handles those things. I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's rotten or explosive. Um, I think it's somewhere kind of a... What was that? <laughs> Something exploded. Jeez, they're all going? They're, are all the chairs going? <laughs> that I, found, I, I found the... I mean, if you're talking about Zen, I was thinking... Uh, I thought the chair was a little bit close to Chinese water torture in there. Uh, there was a... You know, in there for an hour watching the film, and actually... Um, <laughs> Andrea and I were talking some of the time, so uh, but That's it was permitted. this this rhythm of cook 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 going, and it was really it was kind of like you know that water on your brain, um, and I was able to tune it out. But then a dog came into the gallery, so that was good, and we got to play with the dog. And um, anyway. it's funny, I found I found the chair quite companionable. So did really? I. You did? I did, and yeah. I was the and I was alone the first time I went in, and, and I thought, oh good, there's a little ghost in here with me, right. an impatient Kept you busy. ghost. Yeah. Well, there's like a naughty schoolboy. I mean, there's yeah. definitely <laughs> sort of this like ready-made on rascalian. Hair, right? I love. I, it's very much my sweet spot. That sort of I, I, the Buddhist thing. I don't get at all. Um, maybe a, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has a Buddhist practice, <laughs> but I do. Um, but maybe in the sort of epigrammatic poetry, there, I mean, there is a cone like a sort of um, there's a banality, but also for me something profound. Um, Me too. Just was, in being able yeah. to pull off that simplicity. The films that we're speaking of, the three films that are the umbrella, the, um, the shirt, shirt that we saw, they're the all chat. that short. I mean, they're just these very brief Boom. events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and they're so, they're just the, the sheer, um, yeah. 
And how do they work as a threesome, as a triptych? They're brought together in, in, on those walls. They work well. They're all two hmm. are from 2010, and the umbrellas are from 2009. And an interesting detail that Johnny, um, the director of Swiss Institute, told me after you left Lance is that you. I mean, I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe you people have been to Iceland. I have not. But they don't sell. You can't really buy an umbrella in Iceland. That's how windy it is. I think even a gustbuster <laughs> would just blow away. And so. Um, the thing about that film that I found so charming is most of it is sort of watching someone try to attach at the handle end to very cheap umbrellas, and then the second the work is done, it's just gone. It's just gone like a bird. Um, but also, did you notice that the handles, when they're linked together, form an S? No, I didn't. So I, that. there was. It made me think of of Zigner, almost like a signature, huh. you know, funny. rolling down towards the water. I the piano was, for me was a, was the weak. Really, I thought the piano was the strongest piece, but then I'm huh. a, I'm a Cajun. Uh, well, it felt familiar so... to me. Also, the jackhammer sort of drumming mm-hmm. it out on Broadway, but it just didn't. I know that's which is my problem, but there you have it. Because you one's reception. Jackhammers, dogs. Well, these are these unanticipated. Well, one uh, of the things I think props. you learn as a critic is is to be mindful of what's informing your reception of something. Like mm-hmm. there, I've said it. It was the weak point for me, and it may have been because some of the subtlety. Like when I was sitting in the film, I wasn't hearing any wonderful bits of the piano. I was hearing like jackhammer and chair. Well, it's funny, you know, now that you say that, I I have to sort of agree with you. As a piece in itself, I'm not sure I I thought it was the strongest, but as an accompaniment to sitting in the room watching the movie, I found it quite quite soothing. And having um, a sculpture, well, He's Swiss. I found myself thinking about Fishley and Vice. Love, mm. you know, the way things work, that film. It's very, um, like, sort of proto-Fishley and Vice. Just like if you took each of those events, you know, a single event. I, in fact, I asked if he had taught them. I mean, it's, I felt such a strong affinity. So much. But I also thought of Tangley, another yeah. Swiss artist. Tangley, and certainly. The, the explosions the and, the, and the... the madcap and the instrument, which I think Tangley has used, although am I wrong about that? And the kinetic art in Switzerland, which was huge in the, in the 60s. So and having yeah. that there and his And isn't it also a lance, so something of a sort of stereotype of the Swiss that they make these yeah. very efficient yeah. machines, that when you therefore There's something clockwork-like about uh, the show. Yeah. yeah. That if, well, not sort of anti-clockwork. So it's as if yeah. it's as if the Swiss artist lives up to the national stereotype by being a kind of anti-Swiss in making these oddball machines that don't quite All their work. But I, I found that they, they, he did, he was able to orchestrate them to hold together in a kind of rhythm. I, so I think he really has something there in terms of. In fact, I think the way he put put it all together made more sense than the individual works mm-hmm. for me. Um, I was I was interested in his ability. I mean, he's very he's very clever. Um, of you know, the, the first piece I saw when I came in and it's in a loop in the films, but was and I didn't know what it was. Um, it was half a kayak, I think. Yes, um, yes. And uh, attached to um, a waterfall or just before a waterfall, right. and water was going through it, and it was a close-up of it. I thought it was a child's whistle, maybe. You know, there was something about this micro scale, yeah, and you get the um, sense of scale from it. what you, I didn't get the sense of scale immediately because I just came in on it, and and then the water pours in and the water pours out, and maybe there's some reverse action that goes on, but he cleverly pulls together ideas of um, the mouth and the mechanical and um, you know different kinds of orifices and and uh, throws them back and forth on it. nature versus the man-made. I think fire and at snow. times right. A lot of the the elements, so he kind of gets into a witch doctor quality, I think. Where's the mouth? Well, the a mouth. It was like a fish mouth with the uh, um, I had that the, uh, yeah. uh, the kayak. kayak. 
and other things too where he shows you odd angles of things at um, one point there's a film where you're inside a cave and you're watching what I thought oh, yeah. might have been Swiss Franks and it's funny because you also wondered about scale there but what you see is pieces of paper and you, you definitely are aware that you're inside like an orifice in a rock and you're looking at tree, like a tree line and you're seeing these and that's another very poetic just sort of the confetti of paper and I sort of wish that was what he blew, he blew when he blew up all those those piles of paper right. he stacks up all the papers and then he blows each one up in turn and then they go into the um, yeah I read the kayak I must have misread it I read it as being on on snow not on not on there were one two, point there's two kayaks. There were a couple yes. kayaks did you see the show David <laughs> Yes, no, I, I made a lot. Yeah, there are two kayaks. Right. One, in, one, one on ice and one mm-hmm. in, one in the river. Right. One right. cut in half and right. at the end, so water Well, I'm, I'm pissed that uh, you could have taken a dog. I left my dog at home thinking that the Swiss would never allow, allow a dog in a he gallery. A dog. But, oh, he has a this dog. This was the well, Burmese mountain dog. People always mispronounce Burmese mountain dog. But how uh-huh. hilarious is it that he's sitting in that kayak and then he has to, like, push himself along? Um, yeah. it, it, and it goes very slowly down the hill. He's got the but crash helmet on and no. everything else, and it's just it's, it's just like all dressed up and doesn't go. But that's isn't chisel. that isn't that actually the the key to his aesthetic? It's a kind of Heath Robinson aesthetic. These are sort of um, Heath Robinson um, uh, uh, that illustrate nineteen sort of um, Victorian ish illustrator of these madcap machines that are, oh Rube Goldberg that, we that, call him in our country ah okay yes. but the 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 machines are. <laughs> Uh, just ab- uh, ab- absurdly convoluted into to trying to save time, but of course spending half twice as much time doing it. And there's a certain um, uh, aspect of that, I think, to like his whole aesthetic. Well, yeah. Rube, well, Rube Goldberg. I mean, that's a that's a that's a that's a situation of intricacy and complication, uh, unnecessary. Whereas I think he's just the opposite. He he gets things down to such an absolute simple point that that um, it's either they it's they either. They either work or they don't. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's that simple, and it's one thing. You know, it's either, either the balloon goes up into the tower or it doesn't. Either the kayak explodes and shoots down or it doesn't. You know, and I, mm. I think it's a it's actually a um, the, the sheer minimalist kind of simplicity of these machines is what is another thing mm. that just really is so moving to me. I think minimalist. I I um disagree with. It, uh, I find myself thinking of Kunellis with the mm-hmm. use of flame. I mean, mm. that's sort of a povera. Just a lot of things that were happening in Europe in the 60s and 70s. It seems very fluxus. It seems like a late, mm-hmm. and it does a late fluxus intervention. But that's but but, a, but in a very so a very courteous sort of way. Exactly. A very. It seems like a toned down. Well, again, to, to to revert to national stereotypes, a very Swiss kind of fluxus that it's sort of well behaved and 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 a little cute. I mean, I I, I liked the show. I, I liked his work. I've seen it in some Biennale. Some I think there were also a few of his. In Chelsea, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. No, his last show was Lehman Mopin. The Swiss no. Institute. He was in a group, one group, group show, show at three o three. Three o three, that's where it was. Thank but you. he's he's exerted an enormous influence, and and I mean, you know, it's well, exerted an influence or tapped what is in fact a very wide stream within post-war European art. But got there early, early. Adopter. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 like adopter? right in the thick of it, really. I mean, I don't yes. I don't see him as yeah, derivative or. No. Okay. Excellent. Let's move our attention to Arlene Sheket at Jack Shaneman Gallery. They don't ask questions. No, they don't. They do. They <laughs> are. <laughs> I did give the structure at the beginning. Let me let me repeat it. Do they it's throw that, that we have we discussed two shows. Oh. Then, 
they are esteemed guests you. and audience. Mm. You share comments and ask questions, then we repeat it. And break chairs over our heads. <laughs> Sheket, Arlene Sheket at Jack Shaneman Gallery. Um, Andrea, you've shared with us that you have a, a Buddhist practice. Uh, here Arlene doesn't. Arlene is Buddhist aristocracy, is she not? No, so her husband um, is, has a Buddhist practice, is not a Buddhist. Arlene is decidedly not, right? Because her dealer's in the room, which is... <laughs> Let's make it a formal panel. We're here, we're recording it. Oh, I, I apologize. That's um, okay. She is not a Buddhist that, that I know. And I know she's made images of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is something distinct from having your work be in the service of a spiritual tradition. Yeah. I, th- I think she's a sculptor who's worked in glass and ceramic. And I found this to be her strongest show. And I followed her work for a number of years. I've never been um, very moved by the work she's done in glass. If you don't know her work, but you, you saw the images, it's very, you know, t- truly one can use the word organic forms. I feel like ceramic is really her strongest medium. This show, a wonderful device, is that she's using kiln bricks, which are, you can't, you, you couldn't have the ceramic, you can fire the ceramic without the bricks, and they are literally the support for the object. Um, which I just found to be beautiful. And in some cases, or maybe in all cases, the bricks are painted. One of them, when you walk into the gallery, one interesting thing is the um, works are all set. You, you, uh, Jack Shaman starts with the corridor and then sort of has a larger room in the back and opens in another room to the left. And you sort of, uh, corridor is the wrong word, but a more... Um, avenue-like an space. An avenue-like space. And you, you walk maybe three quarters or at least two-thirds of that space before you actually encounter the objects so you see them. And in my approach, the first time I saw the show, these multicolored bricks almost had a photographic reading at the same time that I got. There's something about um, that surface of glaze on ceramic can read and that sort of emulsion that a photograph has. So it read as non-objective picture, something very strongly pictorial, but very much that material of the object. um, She's... Often, and I take this from the titles, um, attempted, and this is in such a noble effort, to capture, sort of like Signer, smoke or fire to deal with the very um, evanescent materials. And for me, the mo- this was the most successful. The, one of the sculptures we looked at, I think you guys could see the caption said smoke. And I found, sort of for the first time in following and always being interested in, but maybe not always entirely convinced by Arlene's work, this time to really just be, you know, She's done it, or she's got it, or whatever they said in My Fair Lady. Um, The glazes take, um, at times, just a very beautiful, really natural, maybe to use a better word than organic, uh, imagery, for lack of a better word, that looks almost like lichen, or truly like the services you'd find in the woods around Woodstock, where I know her studio was, where she made the work. And there's a piece in the back that, I've seen the show now three times, and, the, and once was at the opening, and I don't think that that counts personally, but um, so two times, I'll say. And was unconvinced until, or just, what do I mean by unconvinced? Um, there, there are two sculptures that read very clearly as heads, and the glaze is that, that very meaty, fleshy Gustin pink. And so you get a, a Gustin-y pink head and bricks, and you just, you know, you read it as Gustin, and um, 
talking to, as one does in the gallery, it is in the press release, but you know, I was told by, I don't actually remember whether it was Jack or Katie, who I don't acknowledge as being in the room, um, but that, that Arlene is aware that Gustin's studio was near where her studio was in Woodstock, and that in fact for her, it very much is sort of an homage to an artist working in a very different medium, obviously, and with a, I would guess a, a different set of concerns that um, strong, very strongly evokes him. And today, I, I really thought, wow, that's, that's kind of terrific as well. So it's, it's yeah. a very engaging show. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing all your engagement with it. Um, Lance, um, I, I, I found that compared to previous works of hers that I've seen, um, we've lost some of the funkiness or um, kind of punchy insolence that was often in her, her images of, of the Buddha in kind of translucent and uh, synthetic materials. It seems that this show uh, is really enjoying the um, colors and textures of materials in a way that is uh, less subversive but also still playful and, and, and um, more... Um, painterly in a way, just for want of a better word. Can I ask what your feelings were about the show? Well, they're, the, they're less candy-colored. This, this is much more of an earth palette in this show. Um, I found... I like elements of, of many of the sculptures. I, I did find, though, for me, that there was a clunkiness to some of them. Um, I mean, they evoke many different things. She, she weaves... Cl- uh, kind of almost works against the, the clay in a way. She uses coils, and she's, I guess this is the first time she's used coils, or I think I read that. But she creates these nests or hives, or, and they're, they're very organic, and they move and they twist and they, they reach, and then there are little snouts coming off that are sometimes like uh, something out of Dr. Seuss, like little horns or something. Mm-hmm. Or, or um, you know, the connections to a heart or something. So they have almost a kind of feel of um, an organ a large petrified organ, maybe some of them, they're browns, blacks, grays. Um, but I felt often that they, they were bottom heavy on their bases. And um, so for me, there was not a sense of, for lack of a better word, liftoff, um, where I wanted them to defy their sense of, of earthboundedness. And I also was, um, she uses many different kinds of um, bases. We're talking about the fired clay. And she does get beautiful iridescent surfaces at times, and she stacks the, uh, the brick together. And, but I, and sometimes they're made out of iron, I think. Sometimes they were carved wood. Uh, there were a number, of thing, a number of vessels sitting on the floor. Um, but I kept coming back to Brancusi for me. Mm, nice. and, and, so, and, and I kept saying, this doesn't... When I, because every, in my head, it was like, Brancusi, a god, this. Mm, Brancusi, Brancusi. Um, in terms of the that sense in Brancusi of um, a base that is completely other and then maybe another base that is completely other and, and you get this in ARP too sometimes and then you feel like you've ascended to some kind of other level like up into the clouds or something when you then get to the sculpture on the base and so the base, there's this wonderful interplay between base and sculpture um, in many different ways and contrasts and I felt less of that in her work. Um, I felt that they were kind of separate, separate universes, even when they were made of the same material. Um, partly, I think it had to do with the 
repetition of the brick yeah. against then a completely other kind of beast on top mm. of the base. Would so you agree f- with that, Frank? I, I couldn't disagree more with almost everything he's saying, but... Um, <laughs> you don't and, like and, Brancusi? Uh, he's not a comic. No, I, I think to say I don't like Brancusi is absurd. I mean, that's not, <laughs> at, all what, that's not at all what I'm objecting to. Okay. Um, one of the things... I mean, I have so much to say about this show, so I'll just try to keep it quick, but um, it, it is, I agree with Andrea, her best show ever. I think it's a fantastic show for sheer variety. Um, the, the different colors, the height, the, you know, the different heights of things, um, the different textures of things, the, um, the sheer versatility of, of the show and the sheer beauty of the show in that sense. But in terms of what you were saying about how they're bottom heavy, I mean, Arlene has, you know, began with that, that image of the Buddha sitting with the crossed legs. And over the years, that is a form that has remained with her. And in fact, if you walk around those pieces, um, the amount of movement, I mean, what I was reminded of more than anything was Hellenistic sculpture or Baroque sculpture, where, um, and to me, that's the more, I mean, of course, yes, she puts the base, different bases, wood, brick, whatever, and, and that's very Brancusian, but in terms of the, the actual um, kineticism of those works, you walk around them, and I mean, for example, that first piece when you get, when you walk in, um, you, you showed it with the, with the colored bricks at the bottom. It's oh, called, yes. It's called sleepless color and to me you you could just just walk in the gallery and start walking around that piece and you're going to see it absolutely change from one from one second to the next uh at one point it's this kind of crouching hunching figure at another point it's kind of reaching up and and rising up like that like that dancing little famous dancing figure from the hellenistic period that's at the met that famous famous little dancer that twists around like that I thought the motion in it was just extraordinary, and the amount of the, the, the sheer diversity of, of experience you have when you're looking at any single piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I just want to say, Andrea, you know, the business about the Gustin piece, um, the other thing I wanted to say was you've got the heads, you've got the pink, and you've got the bricks. Exactly, right. So, so it's sort of this most brilliant homage to Gustin. I mean, so many artists do, do, do homages to Gustin. This was funny. This homage was funny. It was. It was. Um, it had all these different elements brought together. Quite literally, the bricks. Um, and I thought it was art historically just extremely astute. Um, so for me, it was not only Arlene's best show, but it was a sheer pleasure to go repeatedly to this show. I, found, I could go a uh, hundred mm-hmm. times to it. I think. I found yeah. there was a kind of virtuosic, um, a, a virtuosic clumsiness. And that perhaps would make, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would make sense. That would make sense, therefore, of the Gustin connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it would also, Lance, surely, and, and Andrea come in on this, um, mean that the, the, the intentions and the values that are given off by these works are so radically different from Brancusi that the sheer coincidence, it, 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 I was, I, she was about to bring in Brancusi when you mentioned his name, but yes, there yeah. is that dialogue sometimes between base and object, but often. When you, for instance, have no, uh, when the the pieces that walk on part and whole and half moons, those groups of pieces that are um, baseless, as it were, uh, <laughs> or rather without bases, um, there's this uh, there's this knowing clumsiness of um, scale discrepancy between the objects. Well, I want to say that I do think Lance's point, I, 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 a point about Brancusi, is fair because she is clearly invoking Brancusi. I mean, the varieties of strategies of 
getting the sculpture up off the floor. We don't see an artist using that, you know, the sculptor working for that long and not know that she's aware of it. And I felt that it was, um, there were differing degrees of success. And when the self-consciousness, um, which for me happened more in the room to the side when the base, instead of creating sort of a mass, the mass was consistent, but the material would shift. Like sometimes there's a block of wood that's been left outside to weather so that it expands and mm -hmm. sort of cracks and it's painted blue. And then the bricks are laid on top of it, but they form a monolith. It's when what was happening underneath, and this is more Brancusian, got the scale was very shifty that I, mm -hmm. that I didn't think it was as successful. But I do, I think that it's a very fair point. And actually the pieces that were installed directly on the floor. I'm not saying the objects themselves weren't beautiful. It, I will say that gesture felt a little precious, coy to me. Yeah, precious, coy. But I nonetheless agree with you that, I mean, when people are saying, as they will, what have you seen that you like? And you immediately forget every show you've seen. But you know, in the two short and jam-packed weeks of this September, that show definitely stands out mm -hmm. for me. Me too, um, me too. Very much. Mm. Well, I, I certainly felt that she's turned, turned an important corner in her work. I do still express my regret for the loss of the, the funky synthetic color, but I think the, the range and ambition and um, varieties that, that uh, the ladies on the panel are, are identifying are, are uh, very evident and bring to mind uh, other contemporary sculptors who, before, to be honest, I never really thought of her as, even as a sculptor. And it's this show that makes one really think, yes, no question about it, this is sculpture. Before, it was some sort of hybrid object. Now it puts me in mind of uh, Rebecca Warren at one moment mm -hmm. and John Newman the next. Mm -hmm. And it's a very contemporary sculpture, but really sculpture. She's also very, re you know, self-retrospective in it, I think. Yeah. It's interesting given that, that I, think, I think at least three of the artists in the show, that's very important in the shows. Um, but you know that piece when you walk in again, those colored bricks are things that she had those colored patches on those pieces. I don't know if they were the paper pieces or, mm -hmm. or some other material earlier on. And huh. so she's bringing motifs, I mean, aside from the fact that she's recycling the, moti the motif of the Buddha, right. basic mm -hmm. abstract Buddha form, right. um, she's, she's also doing a lot of self-referential stuff in it that I like quite a lot. There, I like when an artist does two, that. Two more things that I want to say, because I see the note I took, which was when you said working against the clay, with coil, and I may have misunderstood what you meant, but the use of coil in ceramic, I believe, is actually like technically a very traditional way. Oh, of it is. With it coil. is. It's a very. I mean, to make coil pots is one of the first things you do. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I, mean, I meant. I meant in terms of. I, I didn't. I meant that. I didn't mean to work against the clay in terms of that coils are not how you create these vessels, but that that they were they were woven, but then trying to kind of muscle their way out of the, their configuration mm -hmm. or something. So that, um, anyway, I don't know if that makes sense. But, no, it does uh, make sense. Uh, I mean, it's funny because as we're talking and I'm thinking, another point of connection with Signer is this, and maybe I already said this actually, but is the sort of working with the very evanescent materials. But also I think that the, the comment that you made about the Baroque is very apt here. And yeah. there is a Baroque exuberance to them um, what, but there's, for me, there's, um, there's an excess without a kind of, um, often, without a kind of release that you feel in the Baroque, um, in Bernini or something, I'm not saying everybody has to be Bernini, 
uh, or Brancusi, but there's that, <laughs> it's, it's hard to be Bernini, I, I imagine, but that sense of the, of the, the total transcendence of, the, of, the, mm-hmm. of mass completely, where you really move into the spirit. And for me, I never got out of the, of the body mm-hmm. in this. So, so, even, so it works toward the Baroque for me, but I mean, it's certainly a reference, I think, that she's making. It would, hard to be, it would be hard to be Bernini at any time, but it would be extra hard to be Bernini if you're not living in an age which has Catholic spirituality, a counter-reformation going on. Well, I don't think you have to bring up... Um, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, the, the values... Catholicism the, the with value, Bernini. No, the value, well, you well, do, it because is, the I mean, values... It's, it's about that, spiritual release. It's not necessarily about... There's definitely a spiritual... I mean, you know, I think yeah. there is a spiritual aspiration in this, and I actually do think she is... I think she's both... She says she, she, she'll say she's both Jewish, Jewish and Buddhist. A Jubu. So, a Jubu, exactly. Off the record, I'll the story. Off the record, oh. we can do what you like. But, oh, okay. But, oh, well, all right. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> what I'm saying, I would suggest that the, the, the spirituality in a contemporary sculptor like Shekhet is going to be fundamentally different from that muscular, strong, authoritative, um, uh, almost doctrinal um, uh, ecstasy that you would get if you were working for the popes during the height of the Counter-Reformation. So I'm, I'm just well, saying... I think Bernini would have done what he did, no matter who the hell was paying him. No, if Bernini... I, I think, you know, he would have, yeah, he would have given this that. And there are readings of Teresa of Avila that are, do not focus on the doctrinal Catholicism, you know, and the release that they're speaking of is of a different and more earthy... But yes, look at the, look yes at Dali, the, draw us attention the, to that. That's look at true. the... the um, is it the Daphne and Apollo... In the way it, it, it twists around, um, oh. you know. I mean, I, I just feel like that was the thing she does incredibly well. I think she's get you moving around. Yeah, the she's reaching for that. I'm sort of saying no, I'm, I'm also saying missing something. It. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm saying she's reaching and not quite. But I'm saying that she's reaching, <laughs> but deliberately not getting there. And the way that Signa would also deliberately not get there. It's an intentional clumsiness, which is uh, well, something that's intrinsic. That's something that's very specific and germane to our own period. Yeah. And Bernini would not have got paid by the Pope or anyone if he'd given his client intentional yeah, you're, you're making an argument that artists are intentionally failing because of the time in which they live? I'm making the point that there is a, a goofiness to our contemporary aesthetic, which is very Well, pervasive. maybe yours, not mine. The aesthetic, the contemporary I don't, aesthetic. I don't, yeah, I don't, um, I mean, the I don't believe in a contemporary aesthetic. I believe that every artist is a unique individual who does what he or she does. And um, I think that it's all about trying to get at whatever that is. Uh, if, if, you want, if you want to make that argument for her, I don't know if that's one she would make, that she's intentionally clumsy. She doesn't really want to do what Bernini does as a sculptor. She's not I, I, her in intentions are her problem. What, what right. interests me is this, the sense of intentional clumsiness that comes across from the work and from many artists who are working today, and that makes the work, to me, look very contemporary. I, 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 agree, I, with I, I agree with I agree with this, this business of the clumsiness, but you also have to remember it is clay. I mean, you know, we're not, right. we're not dealing with, you know, monumental marble achievements. We're dealing with, we're mm. dealing with a, 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 a material that's extremely... Mm. Well, respectfully, if, if you look at, yeah. uh, if look at uh, Jean-Baptiste Carpeau, yeah. there's not a lot of intentional clumsiness there, or even clumsiness of any sort. It is a material that can be... Yeah, but it's, I think, in... Incredible refinement, and I don't can. think that's what she's after. That's not what she's so after. So I do mm. agree with that. And I think he's playing up with the... She's playing that... With that quality of playmaking, mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. very important. Yeah. And is there a word? Um, is there another word? Just as we had with rotten and explosive, yes. we have failure <laughs> and clumsy, 
And if mm-hmm. we were writing, because it's a very different exercise to write about a thing mm-hmm. than it is to talk off the cuff about it, you know, there might be another word that carried with it what you're talking about, which is the willful um, lump and you know yes. clumsy. Um, but there might be another way to to get at it. That that's our that's the class. Quite assignment. a left-handed. Compliment. Come back next time, please. The word which which conveys uh, lumpenness in an intentional way. And, and clumsiment. Clumsiment, and yes. Clum- and clumsiment. I think clumsiment. often used mm-hmm. in that, you know. Yes, contingent, yes, <laughs> yes. All too human, the mortal coil. Excellent. So I think coil. it's a good moment... Back to, the- back to the coil. And a good moment to bring in our audience to share comments, perceptions, queries, questions. Yes. Is it a... Are they coils? I have not seen the show. Are they coils or are they extruded? They're extruded. Okay. If they are extruded, extruded, it brings to mind the cloaca. Mm -hmm. It brings to mind an objectivity, you call it. It brings to mind... Ob or ab? Ab. Ab. Abjectivity. Object, no object. And it brings to mind a completely different point of view, which means it is mechanical, but it is a human being. I mean, it is nature, but it is mechanical, okay? Like the man who did the cloaca machine, if you remember. So she just... uh, how do you say, past of shit? I mean, that's what she was doing. I think oh. we're getting the message. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're referring to, to Vim Delvoy's uh, machine that... No, I think it's very important. Definitely. No, no, we're not squeamish here. We need to talk about uh, waste products. We're, we're, uh, we can go there. Yes. Excellent. But then the body's a machine in that analogy, and which I like. Easy, but she is, she's waiting for it, and it works, and then she influence and she chooses the name and she beats the base. Oh, for my English, it's better without. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Thank you. But I mean, the, the, the fact that she's using clay and they're lumpen, I think that that all um, goes nicely with your metaphor. Thank you. As to the assignment, can we agree with Adorno that Every work of art is an uncommitted crime, and therefore, the, clum- the uh, clumsiness and failure. Or, all, or we, you, you can get very far in the academy by agreeing with the Dorno. So I'm, I'm not going to uh, deny that possibility. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, yes, gentlemen here. If you would make for the mic, that'd be great. spoken uh, quite a bit about the, uh, the previous works of each of the artists, and uh, obviously there's a lot of art history and now process. Uh, is it not somewhat important that the works of art that you're seeing in a particular exhibit speak for themselves? That's is obviously essential, that I would have thought, but um, it, it perhaps unnecessarily impoverishes argument if you can't reference or mention 
some development, but uh, that's a, it's a fair point. Yes. Well, I don't know if it's a fair point. I don't know if it's true. Um, I mean, I, I think that I think that art exists in I mean, art exists in relation to other art, uh, and and I, I I dislike the tendency to just sort of go in and have a you know just a purely experiential you know I mean of course that's lovely and it's important it's the most important thing in a way but if you must bring in these other things because artists have discourses that they're embedded in with other artists and with the past I think it's very for me it's very important I don't know yes just to that point um, I didn't know her history um, even though I think of myself as seeing a lot of shows I, I wasn't familiar with her but um, I agreed with everything that you said in a positive way. Like I went in and I saw this show, which at first I walked in, I was like, oh no, bunch of lumps of ceramic <laughs> stuff, really. But then after spending time in there, I felt the sort of humility and lumpiness and yet beauty and elegance. So, you know, without any information, I still arrived in the same place. So Excellent. I'd give it a it sounds like we're all agreed that with this show, she's joined the lumpen aristocracy. Great. Let's move on to our next two shows, if we would. Wonderful. So, Adam Fuss, Andrea, again, if I can turn to you. In Sheket, we had uh, embarrassment of riches in materials and effects and colors and sh textures and shapes. Um, how, how do we respond to the relative austerity of this show um, and the fact that we're, we're seeing um, variations on just two or three uh, motifs? Um, well, we aren't an enemy. I mean, we, we are accustomed to seeing black and white photographs. So in this... And, mm. Your question contains the answer in a sense, or it, it um, invites the answer that I want to give, which is I found the three daguerreotypes, though I have a lot to say about frustrations with the image on the floor and the way he framed it, I found the daguerreotypes beautiful materially, and that room in the front, those three pictures, um, really engaging and interesting. And then for the, in the rest of the show, a real disappointment from an artist who's used a very historic, and now with the daguerreotype, which I think these are the largest daguerreotypes ever made, or the press really says they may be. So um, formally very impressive, but yeah, the, the, there was a lack. He didn't manage to get enough variety from the snakes to in the rest of the show to have them become more to me than just sort of by the end, a sort of exhausted, formal element that I started to read more as, you know, like a Baroque line than any kind of menacing symbol, which it had strongly been in the first room. Mm -hmm. The two images with the newsprint, I actually found myself thinking, what if he, because clear, obviously the newsprint is under glass so it can lie flat with the snakes on it and I, I, I hate this when critics do this the sort of what if they'd made it red or you know because <laughs> your job is absolutely just to meet what's been made and respond to it and I found myself having that thought what if there wasn't glass and they had just messed up the newsprint is that possible to make a photogram but just wanting maybe just a little more um mess or something. It just was very exhausted by the end. And in the back room, because I've also seen this show a few times, today the velvet roped off room at Chime and Reed was um, 
they had actually erected some sort of wall so you couldn't see the material that was there but other times that I've seen the show you, you could see a work that's reproduced in the catalog and it's a dress of like a, a sort of reads like a girl's dress or at the very least sort of an old fashioned dress with the snakes in it and it reintroduces what's, what I have some sort of problems with in a sort of familiar but at a times tedious for very different reasons tension that I know he's after between male and female and dark and light. Mm. But the f- three pieces in the front, I mean, those daguerreotypes are just exquisite. In that chapel-like space with the, uh, uh, the, the light effects, did you find them at, at that uh, lance to be uh, a significantly more moving part of this show? The first room? Yes. I did as a whole. There was, uh, was kind of tomb-like, and mm. you, know, you arrive at the, at the vaginal form on the floor um, not that it's, there's much of a payoff there but um, you know there is this sense of you move in and then bam um, mm-hmm. there it in is in your face yeah um, but I, I did have a question I, they, they're referring to shoots and ladders yeah um, now I've never played that game can you explain and maybe to the audience yeah. what it's it is it's the Indian version oh I sort of forgot that yeah it's the very first version snakes of and snakes, and ladders. snakes and ladders snakes and ladders which I right, think our board game was it based on and it's um, in England we call it snakes and ladders yes. right but it's called it's, a, it's, and a board, it's a board game you start at the bottom left corner and you throw a dice and when you get to a one that's a, a ladder that allows you to ascend further towards the top right corner but if you hit upon a snake you're sent back uh, to where okay, the, where so that's one of the major you. metaphoric ideas in this work. And I, I saw that, I, I didn't read the catalog essay, I didn't have time, but um, I saw there was a lot of imagery in there and there was a lot of, of reference to um, uh, the snake as a regenerative force, the snake as the evil force, the probably going into you know, male versus female and the shift from uh, the the snake is a female goddess to then a male a male god and and I'm sure that I don't know I didn't read it so I, I'm assuming that it went into certain kinds of things about that and the evil good thing but I found that in the show none of that carried through for me and it was like it was kind of it was like oh here's all this scholarship and imagery in the catalog but the they the work just felt decorative to me and kind of um, totally uh, just like. Yeah. You know, just a man of many skills. Yeah. I didn't know anyway. about this about you, Lance. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sometimes I have to act it out. Umbr- I can't do it. Umbrellas of you know. style, uh, all singing review panel next time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll invite you back, um, Faye. Uh, the, the 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 vagina on the floor, very much like a yoni. In a, I like in it a, when you say it with an R on the end of vagina. Thank, thank you for giving me <laughs> like that. Something you'd find in a uh, truck stop. Thank you for giving me that to talk about. Um, no, um, I'm not giving you that to talk about. I'm asking. I'm going to ask you a question, a specific question. Um, the uh, uh, it seemed very forced the masculine feminine dichotomy in this um, show. This show, I. I Thank you. I'm 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 so relieved to agree with you on on something. I I mean, Can I not, go not now? only not only that they were decorative, but that that it was like decoration for a rich person's house. I mean, it was like let's let, let's. I mean, I just a rich found it so. House. I just found. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, I'm not gonna. No. Don't okay. put words in my mouth. Okay. But I want to get to the to the to the mm-hmm. chapel-like room with the daguerreotypes. Mm. You know, Andrea, it's true. These are beautiful, beautiful images, but. It almost made me more pissed off than anything else that I went away with the sheer meretriciousness of that. It was the most meretricious use of the 
process, you know, these ancient processes. And for them to actually write in the press relief that the vagina, <laughs> that the vagina was the portal to the earth, yeah. is is almost is, is so. I mean, I can't even believe it's I can not, say it out loud. I, I mean, I I'm just mm-hmm. so appalled yeah. that um, that this could be so blandly not interrogated in any way whatsoever. That that um, I mean, I just I think almost the beauty of those mm. as objects. It almost made me more annoyed than the sheer bland decorativeness of the rest mm-hmm. of the Can show. I ask a question of my fellow female panelist? You have that special right. Yes, go ahead. Was it, and forgive me, I'm going to say it, you might want to, was it the hairlessness of the vagina that got to no, you? There were, it, there were some no. hairs. Actually. The hairlessness, if you no. Look close, I mean, it's a beautiful... It wasn't perfectly shaved. <laughs> but it, it was, was almost nearly, shaved. Critic has it given was a great deal of attention. I think they should go back and redo she it. She did a good job. Yeah. But I found the, the, because what the press release actually said was it does not represent a sexual organ. It is an, an, like an architectural element and a portal to the earth. It's good to be, it's that's good even, to have your reactions policed. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I think, I mean, I guess, you know, I think that it's one of those things where you just are so annoyed that, mm. you know, because you feel like somebody's going to slap you around and say, oh, you're so puritanical. But, you know, that isn't it. It just—it was the sheer hokiness of it that just, you know, drove me mad. But I so, don't think it, he was blithe about it. I, this is what I imagine. Good. I mean, that's even worse. I mean, you know, that, yeah, great. He was not blithe. He took himself so seriously with all the right. erudition and the snakes and Tiresias and Mercury that, and, That catalog I said was know, absurd. It was like oh Cole's, Cole's Notes by sort of... But uh, you can't blame the artist for the ...wannabe no, 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 iconologist. Wait, wait. He, all, he himself also... I mean, I don't know where yeah. I read this. It wasn't, it wasn't just the catalog. I only just saw the catalog mm-hmm. today. There, were, there was other stuff around right. about how he said this or that. Mm. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was... I share, yeah. by the way, your yeah. total annoyance. Uh, and I, I want to yeah. bring up a show that isn't on our um, List. roster, yeah. but it's so relevant. And there is a show at Texter and Spangeman, a gallery that was in Chelsea <laughs> and then it moved to the Oh, yeah, the, and now it's the back. Steiner And it show. is, be warned, it's, it's pornography. Yeah. Um, Lance and I will be there at 10 o'clock. It's, yeah. woman, it's, it's woman-centric pornography. And when you think uh-huh. about all the very strongly homoerotic images that are gay male gaze centric. It's actually very, I do think it's a radical political gesture. I won't say it was hard for me to watch. I did learn that I definitely skew like a 10 on the Kinsey scale of straightness, but that show, um, seeing that show the same day that I saw the Foos made me that much more just sort of, I mean, I guess it doesn't make me mad as much as it makes me exasperated. I didn't, I didn't get angry. I just, um, I mean, for me, there was a false lyricism in the, um, in all the shoots and ladder snakes on the poles thing, um, the 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 vagina image and the bed images. I thought. I mean, there was there was a straightforwardness about them that, at least for me, uh, held me as a kind of um, this is this, and because of the beauty of the process, and we don't see we don't see that kind of photography that often, and, and not contemporary. Um, I think there was something in the gestalt, but uh, I do agree that it, it was, you know, making the bed small and the vagina big was kind of ridiculous. Um, I, there was some, you know, it didn't work, but... It seemed to me if I... That room is often kind of chapel-like and wonderful. It is, yeah, it is. It can't I mean, not be, yes. They always do something nice, and I always go in there first. Sacral, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, uh, but the, the kind of... T- if I just, run, just jump in, I mean, just to bring in art history again... Uh, 
you know, there were these kind of feeble, tepid relations to to sort of historical stuff as well. Because I mean, you think of the the Nadar pictures, you know. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, you think of that early photography. You think of the early 20th century the documentary um, kinds of things. Uh, yeah, and the early 20th century, um, uh, you know, use of the um, photogram, mm -hmm. which is that idea of the of the Laszlo Maholi Naj with the with the images that are floating yeah, but, around. And, and, and the, the Holy Naj was so much better. Movement, of course. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the movement of the snakes, I suppose. And I'm just trying to do yeah. salvage yes. something for myself. That I, I think there's more that can be possibly salvaged from this show. Um, what? That can be salvaged from this show. To commit the sin uh, that this gentleman has identified of uh, referring to an artist's previous body of work, um, when I think of Fuss, the first thing that comes to mind are these great big photographs of babies. So when I saw this very... At first, it didn't, to me, read... I mean, I'm not saying I had the same experience that Lance did with the uh, mouth in Cigna, but uh, it, it seemed to me that with the vaginal form, that at first it looked like an elephant ear or something. It took a moment to actually register what I was... Good God. I <laughs> Only a oh short this moment, is, a short this, moment. I hope but, so. But <laughs> it's not a I don't know how the other you have to stop, calling, stop the, calling it a vaginal form, because it was it's just, just a vagina. vagina. Was. Well, it's a photograph. It, it's a photograph of a vagina. Like so we we, often, we do with photography have to remind ourselves that we're looking at an image, even when we even when it's an image of Fair something. Enough. And yeah. it seemed to me also, just actually from a purely uh, kind of documentary perspective, um, you know, outside of very cheesy sort of pornography, it's very rare to see such uh, a meticulously detailed um, analysis of the female sexual organ. Um, at that kind of scale and attention uh, without um, a context that makes it um, uh, even erotic. I didn't see it as an erotic image. I didn't see it as... I mean, it, it's, it, whatever meaning the image had was only within the context of its installation. Therefore, as a photograph, I think it did have a kind of a rare precision to it. Well, and I think that there was... It, it was neutralized, in a way, from its sexuality. It was. Um, but I think to its detriment on some level in the same way that, say, George O'Keefe neutralizes or neutralized mm. um, those forms or, you know, claimed that they weren't uh, erotic, even though she's working with the sexual organs of a plant, you know, where she's saying she wants you to look over here instead of over here. And I think that, for me, that there was a little bit of that in this, in mm -hmm. looking at, you know, it's like it's kind of fascinating but kind of not, but almost um, made barren or something mm -hmm. or turned to stone mm -hmm. or like, like almost the, the human... Mm -hmm element was removed mm -hmm. which separated me even more from it mm -hmm. um, which is what he was trying to do I mean I guess the thing is for all of the conflicting emotions I had in that room I was very engaged and it's I, I almost I mean the rest of the show was then just such a sort of it just mm. didn't yeah um, I agree the rest of the show was just pure formalism it, yeah, but not even. I mean, nothing. Do you want me to sing it for you again? Not good. Not good. Not good as photography. Not good as painting. Right. You know, I just felt mm. like it was just. Gesture. You get your Barnett Newman zip, but who cares? Right. Know? Well, from the um, from the clean austerity of Fuss, we can turn our attention to the viscera of uh, Snyder. Lance, did you did you find Snyder? a rewarding, satisfying experience. You read my review, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I Thank you. I, I, Schneider's an artist I followed for a long time, and she's one of my favorite 
abstract painters. I, I was let down by this show. Um, I think that there were three or four works in it, five maybe for me, that hit the mark that she can hit or had elements of hitting the mark. I felt like a number of the works didn't, didn't have a kind of heartfelt and essential um, uh, meat to them. They, they, they didn't feel discovered. Um, I felt a little bit like they were she was kind of going through the motions and working with a vocabulary that she had that was hard won that she had worked for and gotten but now it was like she had these tools in her toolbox and was pulling out the same uh, the same ideas you know I, I wasn't convinced by the that they had been unearthed I, I felt like they had they become decorative for me and I think she's a wonderfully decorative in, in the best way a decorative painter at times with those flowers and those cuts and those lesions and those, you know, getting at vaginal forms. I think she's spe spectacular sometimes when she evokes a wound and a vagina and, um, you know, a flower and all, all simultaneously. This show for me felt um, just kind of shop-worn for the most part. And I, I love the big triptych. Um, I like that. I liked a couple of the others. I like the small things. The Valentine I thought was really beautiful, Armine, which I think you showed, which has, you know, like a red lipstick kiss on it which is also like a wound. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, that kind of moment in me for jo with Joan is, um, it, it's just, I think it's really magical when, you, you know, you see this like somebody kissed the, the, and then, but it also reminds you of that as if somebody has been cut. You know, I love that kind of metaphoric place mm -hmm. she puts me. But, um, yeah, I was a little disappointed. Disappointment? Did you yeah. share that disappointment, Faye? Hush. Not at all. Um, I, I mean, it's a little hard for me almost to talk about this show because I just finished writing a big essay about, about for this print retrospective that's going to be at the Zimmerly at the end of January, which is a career retrospective and goes through the entire, you know, everything. It's going to be just spectacular. Um, I really love, so it's, I'm very, feel very close to the work and, um, I actually think it's one of her best shows she's had in, in I mean, maybe ever, um, especially for um, a couple of the paintings in particular. But what was interesting to me about this show is it's called A Year in the Painters in the Painting Life, yes. I think it is. And, you know, in a sense, she's creating these, um, these kind of very... Uh, I, I thought it was a very... Oh, God, this is, I'm not doing well. Um, the, there, it's, a, it's a sort of study of time, it seems to me. Um, and it's this, a study of time by a woman who is not young anymore. Um, and I feel that, um, you know, there's summer, there's fall, there's, um, there's winter to a certain, I mean, it isn't called winter, but there's that one painting, the, the roses, rosebuds on the white field, which looks like blood drops on which a white a, which field. Is not, which is a homage to a friend, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know about whether that one is. The one with the boats is an homage to I a friend see. who died. Um, yeah. And, and I do feel the presence of death in this work um, very strongly. And to me, it's a quite a remarkable feat to take these kind of resplendent colors um, and this glorious light and make it so 
sad in a way. Um, and particularly striking to me was the painting Oh April in the very back of the gallery, especially on the heels of the Monet exhibition at Gagosian. Mm -hmm. You walk in that gallery and you see those flowers at the very back of the gallery. Um, and that painting to me is just an utterly devastating painting. Um, it's Oh April, and I mean, I happen to know that that's, that's um, April was, is the month she was born in, and it was her 70th birthday. And to me, that painting with its kind of streaks, the drips mm -hmm. that are coming down, which, which strike me as rain or tears, um, is, is um, and then with this, at the same time, this kind of heart-aching beauty of, mm -hmm. of, the, of the, um, the kind of texture of the flowers mm -hmm. is, to me, absolutely unequaled in anything she's done, um, yes. that painting. And she brings back many, many motifs from her early works. Again, it's kind of retrospective thing. She has the strokes. She has many of the motifs you were talking about. Um, I mean, the fields, the, fields, the, moon, the moons, the moons yeah. um, and even the angel. When you first walk the in, angel. there's that little painting of mm -hmm. the angel. That was the first thing she it's ever did. It's a beautiful did. one, that little one. Mm -hmm. that yeah. first, it was the first, you know, the very first thing she ever did was an angel. Perhaps, perhaps nearing the uh, April is indeed the cruelest month because uh, yes. nearing the uh, biblical uh, three score years and ten was this occasion for a kind of retrospective uh, a year of painting that is at the same time a retrospective. Um, Andrea, did you find that the, the exhibition took you around to give you a sense of a year as you were? Was it installed in a way that condu was conducive to a sense of seasons unfolding or motifs recurring? How did you, how did you respond to the show? Um, though I really adore the stroke paintings, Joan Snyder's early work, I just have to candidly say that she's an artist who, I, so many people that I know and respect have this really you know, heartfelt open, it just leaves me unmoved. Um, I'm, I, I think it's important that she's painting and it's painting that just leaves me just cold. And I, I've, I saw this show a few times. And in fact, the horrible uh, tornado that had hit Brooklyn, but last Thursday, I had just stepped into the gallery when the storm broke and was the only person in the gallery. And I thought, okay, this is going to be my chance. You know, it sounds like it's raining hard. It's going to rain for a while. And I just and, remained... Andrew, may I ask you, did you lot. see the retrospective at the Jewish oh, Museum? Oh, absolutely okay. did, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, in fact, even listening to you guys talk, I just sort of wince. For me, it's just sort of an essentialist reading of the vaginas and the cuts and the wounds. But I know that in that show, the material of that show, because it was um, about AIDS, about the Holocaust... I, I, the Monet painting, I mean, there's, there is a lot to luxuriate in, in these paintings, and they just, I'm not luxuriating. They almost repel me. Could I, could I just say something about the essentialism? Because I, I think it's a very important point, actually. Um, and, and I read your review as well, where, where you're basically saying, you know, that it, there's something almost embarrassing um, I, I don't remember exactly how you put it. It was nicely put, actually, but it was it was it was negative. It was negative, but it was you know. Um, but but I want to I want to say yeah. The show left me. I want to just say something about about her essentialism because I think that there's a way that the um, that her faith in the ability of a stroke of paint to convey some kind of emotional state is in a way quite analogous to her feminism. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's a certain kind of feminism that I think has gone very much out of style. That, that Steiner is, the, is, you know, at, at Tanger and Spangerman. Spangerman? Yeah, but Whatever. it's... Is, 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 is a different... No, I mean, I, I'm a... Actually, it's not painting, so... No, 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 I know it's not painting, but it is a kind of feminism. It is. Oh, it's just, that is yeah. what it is. And it's, it's propaganda. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's become, it's become, you know, I, I think that, that, that Jones, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I feel like a, there's a real, there's a real relationship mm-hmm. there and that it has to be there in the work. And the fact that you don't respond to the work is, 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 is an honest thing. I mean, I yeah. think that it's, mm-hmm. it's, well, for, but is your, it, me, I'm hearing two or three different things from Andre because on the one hand, I'm hearing, uh, you don't respond because perhaps formally it's just not good enough. I'm also hearing the complaint about the essentialism. Is it? Are you? Is your rea- is your negative reaction as a uh, political and to do with the imagery, or is it simply? I- I'd love to love this work. It doesn't uh, meet the grade. Um, for me, I, see, I don't, David, want to go to the place of it doesn't meet the grade or it's just not good enough. Well, I am why not? Absolute, it's art. I mean, uh, uh, I am absolutely willing to concede that I am not open to all practices. And I, I would think that there is certain master... And, and actually, masterful is the wrong word to use in this context. There is certain art that is so great, if we can use a more mm-hmm. neutral word, that everyone will open to it. And I, for, Joan Mitchell, for me, is that. Joan Snyder isn't for me, but I really mean it when I say winning the MacArthur. I thought that was important. I, um, it, is, it is just painter, painting that doesn't move me. <coughs> Trying to think of why, I thought maybe for me, it's, when you said the thrill of seeing this painting after the Monet, it's too much an homage for me. Um, well, but I, just, I want to say mm. something before oh, okay. you, you jump in again, which is I want to bring up Carrie Moyer, who's a painter working with um, very chosen feminist imagery, who's a very... Um, because I, I understand what you're saying about like sort of first wave feminism being swept under the rug, and it's mm-hmm. and I like Marilyn Minter, but that work, you know, that's what feminist art is now, and it, it makes me uncomfortable that it all has to be engaged with sexuality, and um, and I think there's an example of a painter whose work I really respond to, um, and I don't think it's just because it's a thinner surface. I don't. It's it's hard it's for me so to articulate. It's so different, though, Andrea. It's such a different. She's. I mean, I'm yeah. a huge Carrie Moore fan, but I can't think I'm, of but anyone. Do you see, but do you see a, a comparison I draw in terms of a political intention as a painter? Because uh, she does have that. Mm, no, I don't. Because I I don't think that I don't think that her work is 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 in a confessional vein. Where I think Joan Snyder's work Joan Snyder's work is 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 truly confessional work to the point where it becomes very difficult to write about her because you mm-hmm. also have to write about her biography, mm-hmm. and that is that is a very strange well, position. Well, you have to, to write about her biography presumably because she instills it in the work and yes, forces you, you to. So you that's can't, uh, um, you can't separate uh, yourself. But from Schneider's an artist oh, who. Let's let's just just, just let's spend a moment with her with her origins. She's an artist who. I'm seeing her in this building upstairs uh, a couple of years ago in the uh, High Times Hard Times exhibitions. Really brought home to me the, the coincidence, the, the the majorly historically significant coincidence that you you have somebody who's an abstract painter. Uh, emerging at a time downtown where painting is considered somewhat suspect and she needs and wants and does paint needs and wants to and does paint and she's also uh, a first generation feminist it's it, it's the 70s it's really the beginnings of well it's the late 60s and 70s is that new wave the women's movement so here's a, a an individual who's politically radical who's artistically Somewhere between, somewhere in, an, in, a, in a sort of awkward spot of um, abstract, and at the time, but at a time when 
um, abstract painting is kind of sus uh, held in suspicion. And so that's what gives sort of the tension and the energy and awkwardness to this but work if I that I respond positively to. The work that was in Hard Times, High, High Times is the stroke paintings. That yes. is the work that I said I do really respond to. And yes, those just, are, I to my mind, honest, her best you know, work still, that's um, unfortunate. And that is work that's still true. for me. And it's interesting because it comes from a non-objective, I, I mean, there are other artists who work in a confessional vein. I, I apologize, well, actually, to the panel and the tape recorder for no, not having formulated an articulate... No, no, this is a review I, panel. We're here to think things through. I'll uh, do it live. So excellent, but Lance, we haven't uh, opened Well, um, I don't think you have to know her, her biography at all to respond to, the, to her work. Um, I, I've talked to her about her paintings, and... She never talks about her biography ever. Never talks about her life. We we talk about the rhythmic, um, the rhythm of the forms, the uh, metaphors that are going on. The uh, you know when I've talked to her, um, and I think that I don't think you need to know. I mean, certain paintings are clear from her titles what they evoke. I think when she's at her best, um, she reaches. There's a formalism. You know, she's. I think she ever as a painter first. And um, she reaches a kind of formal rhythm in the work in which the textures, the materials, the evocations all kind of fuse somehow mm -hmm. and, create, and, and, and evoke the body or a field or a sky or a moonlit night or something. And um, for me, even though she's using a lot of the same language in these works, for me it was a formal failure, not a, um, a biographical failure or a, an emotional failure or something. It, the ones that failed for me, they didn't, they didn't have that formal rigor. And the, 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 the moves felt like, oh, I've seen these before. It almost felt like pastiches for me of Joan. And so that was, that was my disappointment. I thought some of them were a little light and thin. And they felt like Joan, but they felt like somebody imitating Joan almost at some times. And, and so... Could that be the retrospective thing? Well, well, you know, I actually, I mean, if I could just... And that's respond, a lot to do in one year, to too. I, I, I oh think you're right. Actually, I, I'd like to correct myself a little. Not so much about biography as, per, as something very personal. Um, but I appreciate what you're saying. And, and I think that... But I think that there were a number of paintings in the show. For me, it was the bigger ones that were the more exciting. And yeah, this one was, I'm I think thinking of, for example... Yeah. No, but also, oh, this one, was too. a terrific, the yeah. fall with other that's things in mind, um, which, which had the twigs on it. And then these these bits of fabric hanging from them, which function both as fabric and as form, and then these big, rough white flowers in it. I mean, I just um, I thought that was a terrific. I think that's a terrific painting. This one of Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn 2010, where where you you could almost see the the those those chintzy little. Um, kind of house little not I don't I know if they're like sort that. of aluminum siding or frame you know with the with the gauze on it it gives right. it gives the sort of idea of Brooklyn this kind of living breathing feeling and mm. I, I I um I mean I could argue a lot for these paintings I I did really think they were they were still I think she's still doing what mm. she does best but I I I the thing about the personal biographical I will I will concede on Let me that. throw uh, some idea, an idea to the panel that may be absolute sacrilege, especially when talking about a, uh, a feminist artist, which is to mention uh, strong male names. But I uh, look at this work, and there are two names that really um, are sort of bashing away on the sides of my head. Um, when I look at the, uh, the textures, the things from life brought in, and also 
very particularly something we haven't mentioned so much, the, the, the writing, not just the words yes. that are written in, but also the very sense of the diaristic of uh, écriture uh, that's really present in these paintings. Those two big names that are uh, bashing on the side of my head are uh, Sai Tuomlian and Salm Kiefer. Um, where, I, I where would, would you compare? How would you compare? don't even bring them into the conversation. I'm bringing them into I the conversation. I think she's so much greater. But I did think yeah. of both those names myself. Can we, can we qualify why we well, think she's greater or why we think she's lesser or where she would stand? Just to, just to get some... Just to get oh, some, uh, we'll some let's go there. Come on. I, I, I totally agree with this. I, I mean, I had both those thoughts in my name. I mean, those three sort of names. Um, I think... And I'll say this, and maybe this is it. Kiefer is another artist that um, I have a hard time with it slowly. There's a painting right now at the Met that I found myself kind of having more of a relationship to than I have in the past. But with Twombly, I think there's, and this may get to an urgency as a feminist, the personal being political, um, there is an absolute mystery, you know, if not an inscrutability at times with Twombly that is not in these paintings. That is not a what? I'm that sorry. That is not in these paintings. Um, yeah, but I, I actually, I think those I think there's are, a clarity here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree with, I, I, I agree with Lance. I mean, I mean I'm not going to say that I... if you mean mystery by ambiguity, then yes. There is a clarity. I'm saying, yeah, there, anyway. But also this business of the writing um, <clears throat> is um, the idea of the written word as essential to the form of the painting. You know, I, I do believe that she uses, that, that everybody should look at the way Joan uses writing I'm very personally find it really exciting, and I do think that there's a similarity to the way Twombly uses writing in the sense that um, that that it it does become this kind of formal element in mm -hmm. the painting. It's not, it, and also there's, but of course also there's a content that is so personal. To me, that makes it rise above um, above just uh, something purely formal. That I, that, I mean, which is not to say I'm I don't love Twombly, but mm. Twombly v. Snyder. You'd pick Snyder. Really? You, uh, these two would pick I would Snyder. Pick Snyder. I think yeah. Good Snyder. I would, I would almost, almost hands down take any Do Snyder painting um, so over any Twombly. It makes me see one's tastes are so I mean, unless I can that, sell that shocks them. me. Mm, it shocks because me, but I think I can clarify exactly. I admire Joan and I like her work and I got pleasure from the show, but I can tell you absolutely specifically why uh, I'll take Twombly over Snyder, and that is because um, Snyder, because... Because Twombly, I think, the work understands the rhythm of writing. And, and we always have with Twombly, while you, even if it's a, a, a really massive and sumptuous and saturating um, visual field, we, we have a sense of the page. And um, Joan is really built, trying extra, extra hard always to give us um, a painting that works, that's a total Twombly. gestalt good abstract painting and yet the impulses are there to bring in precisely those things that oh. will frustrate that totality. Oh, uh, I, I, I urge you to go to the print show when, when it's up, which is a, 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 an oeuvre that, that people don't know of Jones. It is extraordinary and the writing is extremely important in it and I think you'll, it will change your idea of, of, of her as No, a, I think the writing is writes. important and I love her. I, no, uh, that's, I mean, that's the bits that I tend to find the most exciting oh. uh, are, uh, is the writing. Um, in, in, in her work, but that's what is helping to frustrate well, this, this, this need for totality. To me, I would never separate out, separate the writing or the twigs or the hair or the paper flowers or the, the paint or the tearing or the velvet or the 
seed pods or the wooden balls or whatever. Um, I think that either these paintings work or they don't. And I find that the she, when I was talking about at the very beginning, this, that sense of the essential, I think when she scrawls on a painting, when it works, the painting wouldn't work without it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to this place, this gestalt, okay, in any good painting, when I think, you know, you, she evokes a pool or she evokes something or they become talismanic almost. Or like, I mean, I think of her as like a witch doctor. You know, she's creating these kinds of, you know, sometimes they're like children's drawings and other times they're like, um, you know, something, you know, a, a marsh man that's been dug up from, you know, it's funny know, that thousands you say of years that, ago or something. The shamanic, because I yeah. found myself thinking, why do I love polka? But not, because there is that very alchemical, she's after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also Kiefer gives us, with Kiefer, never mind the straws and the sticks, Kiefer gives us history and irony. And uh, that, I think... There's no irony in this There's book. no irony here. No. no. Absolutely not. There's, there's more authenticity than anyone could cope with, perhaps. <laughs> Well, do, would you say then there, like, there isn't authenticity in Titian? Yes, I get plenty in him. Thanks. Okay. No, but I'm... But I some mean, irony like, as well, occasionally. Yes, <laughs> yeah, like... But that are we calling work that's a bit less fully earnestly there and maybe has a little more equanimity, like, I'll say, Polka, or maybe the Twombly, do we then call that somehow inauthentic? Because that would trouble me. Mm-hmm. Um, to I, me, it is a little... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, or it's just a level of skill. I think Schneider I think is a better painter. I don't think there's anything inauthentic about Kiefer. I mean, that's one of the problems for me, as I find his particular brand of authenticity extremely strident. Um, mm-hmm. Not not strident, just 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 um, lugubrious, yeah. Lu- lugubrious, lugubrious, yeah. lugubrious. On, uh, lugubrious too. seems like a sad note to end on, but perhaps the <laughs> audience will share with us a thought. Yeah that sends us happily into this uh, Indian summer evening. Um, Wonderful. Betty Cunningham, I think, is bursting to say something about Adam Fuss, aren't you? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, the painting that was in the show up here that David Reed did was called The Storm. It wasn't a stroke painting. And it... uh, uh, Roberta Smith wrote in an article saying it was a dismal painting and so on and so forth, and uh, beca- and it, what had happened is there was some, according to Jones, some uh, a mold that had gone on it, so she was concerned that that's why Roberta had said it was dismal. The truth is, and this was a correspondence between the two of them, the truth is that that was a painting called The Storm. It's owned by the Guggenheim, gifted to the Guggenheim. It was, um, she was so distrustful of her success with the stroke paintings in the 70s that she covered it with black and let s- some of the strokes come out and called it the storm. I think it's extremely important to realize that Joan thinks her paintings are offerings, altars, appeasements, and full sentences about what she wants to say. So the main thing that I have to deal with, representing her for a long time, outside of her personality, is also that she says what she wants to say. She's never come to me and given me a painting. She says it's beautiful, but she says I push the envelope of beauty. I know that for most people. And I really, really think that you have to be humble when you look at a Joan Snyder because Mm -hmm. those strokes both smile and cry. Mm -hmm. And I have, and not all the paintings are great, 
But the rites of passage when her daughter was, uh, was very sick is one where the flowers just suddenly come up with the silk coming down. And we have to, oh, this will go on forever. We have to, under, at the gallery, we always have to give her full media, media for every painting. Velvet is soft and deep. Silk is fragile. Burlap, you can see through anything that sometimes, and sometimes it's very harsh. Uh, the, the herbs are healing. Uh, throughout the whole picture, there's something going on. It takes a long time. A lot of people will say it's overindulgent, it's uh, too effusive, and I don't want to hear her scream all the time. She continues to scream, and let me tell you, it's not about a pretty picture. It's about what she has to say, and she, I, I, she said to me one time, I was looking at a painting called Acquainted with, Acquainted with Grief. She said, Betty, I have to go to a psychiatrist because I'm afraid of so much. And I said, I'm looking at your paintings, and you're dealing with things that I have spent my life trying to avoid thinking about, whether it's death, birth, or anything. So she's, she is not afraid. She's not afraid of any material, and she's not afraid of what anybody says. Wonderful. But she's saying it, and I really think the print show is going to show her vocabulary and the development all the way through. It's amazing. We eagerly wait there. Where, where will the print show be, then? At the Zimmerly, at the Zimmerly, in, in, uh, at Rutgers. Fantastic. Oh, yes, it, it is fantastic. Well, it's fantastic. It really is. We'll go to see it. Excellent. Um, some more comments on our first as well as um, on um, uh, Snyder. Yes. I was just going to make a comment about, um, I agree with Lance about um, uh, Snyder versus um, Twombly. And to me, her work has such guts. And Twombly, to me, is just kind of wishy-washy by comparison. So I completely agree with you. Run. Great. You would be correct. <laughs> and the, the, somebody behind was going to comment. Is that you still want to? Uh, no. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Marvelous. If you can. Good. I too am very close to this work, but um, I love it when Joan fails. She's not afraid to fail, and I think that's an extraordinary thing for a painter. It's not precious. It's not about succeeding formally. It's about you know, what she has to say, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and she's unabashed in the face of that. Thank you. Um, Wait, no defenders of Fuss, or? <laughs> yes, yes, please. I'm, I'm not too good with microphone, but can you hear me? Yeah, it's Very good? well, yeah. Okay. On the fuzz, on the fuzz, I hear, and it was, was actually fascinating. As you talk about the daguerreotype, sometimes you said they're very interesting images. They're beautiful images. Sometimes you were saying they're beautiful objects. And I found myself thinking, is it important to define them as images or objects? Are they both? I think in that... In that installation of those three daguerreotypes, they are most definitely both because the placement of the object on the floor with such a, you know, at such a height is what it becomes instead of a depth, is obviously the artist's intention mm -hmm. um, to underscore the objectness, you know, but that doesn't obviate its imageness. Right, marvelous. Well, it just remains for me to uh, share with you the news that our next review panel is on October 29th when um, three first-time panelists join me. 
uh, unless you count an appearance at the Brooklyn Review panel as an, uh, as an appearance, in which case we welcome back Greg Lindquist and welcome Barbara McAdam and John Perot. And the shows that we're reviewing include Liz Cohen at Salon 94 Bowery, uh, Guillermo Quitka at Spironi Westwater on their new space on the Bowery, and Susan Fracon at David's Werner. So I'll see you all then, and thank you very much indeed to my panelists this evening. Thank you.